Hi, I'm Michael Cashew. And I'm Adi Cashew, and you're listening to The WAG Podcast. This podcast is about health, wellness, and personal development. Each episode is a short conversation between Adi and I on a single topic with actionable steps. We cover everything from food, mindset, fitness, and relationships. We started WAG because of the way health and fitness changed our lives, so we hope to share a tool or two that helps you along your way. Hello, hello. Hi. Welcome back, guys. I have never been so excited for this an episode of the show. <laughs> <laughs> never, huh? No. Why are you so excited? Because we get to answer your questions. Nice. I feel like it's really exciting to get to interact with our listeners this way of them submitting questions and us getting to answer them and just being certain that we're providing the information that people want to hear. Yeah, I like that. Notice Adi is an embellisher, so I don't know if this is really the most excited she's ever been. (laughs) It's pretty funny. I'm not, well, no, I think most people are embellishers. I just like to go slightly above the normal to make, to make your stories a a little bit more This big. No, there's, it's usually we talk about something that happened, like we, we were in a travel trailer in Seattle one at one point and it rained a lot and i think the amount of time that it rained for has grown every time i've told yeah this like story. it might have it might have it was probably 10 for days. like seven out of 30 days and no, now it's it was now it's 29 than, it was more than seven days. every day <laughs> i mean it was more than seven days for sure but i think i said like three weeks straight it was yeah. raining <laughs> Anyway, guys, uh, before we get the show started, thank you uh, if you have taken the time to leave us a review. We always love it, and it helps the show grow. It helps us reach more people. That's the way those platforms work. If you haven't done so already and you're a fan of the show, we would love you to take the opportunity, take the time to leave us a quick review. Also, if you would refer a friend to this podcast, that would be super helpful because that also helps us reach more people and provide more impact in the world. And if you want one of your questions answered, go to workingagainstgravity.com forward slash podcast, scroll down to the start recording button, leave us a concise, well-articulated question with your name and where you're from at the beginning. And if it's good, we will answer it. So with that, let's get this started. Hi, Adi and Michael. This is Steve from Indianapolis, and I'm a big fan of the podcast. I'm an endurance athlete, a runner really, Uh, And I don't have a whole lot of time for the gym, but I do have goals of retaining my strength as I get older and getting faster over distance and preventing injury. I'd like to know what you guys think about if I have two or three days max in the gym, what should I be doing while I'm there? What kind of exercises, rep and set scheme uh, and how I divide those over the two or three days that I have? Hey, Steve, that is a wonderful question. And I worked with the cross-country team at Southern Utah University, so hopefully I can help you out a little bit here. So there, there are two main things to consider. One, as an endurance athlete, you the, the thing that will help you most is probably developing more power and strength. And that also, that also contributes to you wanting to get stronger over time. The other thing to consider is to avoid doing things because endurance running, endurance sports are pretty destructive on our joints because it's repetitive 
a repetitive movement over and over and over. And so you want to avoid adding more repetitive things on top of that. So on the power and strength side, my biggest recommendation would be to do heavy, heavy or explosive lifts for three to five sets of three to five reps. So the, the biggest bang for your buck is probably going to be squatting and deadlifts and then power cleans and maybe some, some very high box jumps or some very explosive broad jumps or something like that. And you can also, a broad jump can be taxing on your joints as well. So you can, go, you can YouTube how to use those with bands and it'll uh, prevent you from adding more injury on top of all of the other uh, repetitions. So on the other side, you want to avoid doing really high rep workouts. So the probably the biggest thing to avoid is doing things that are in the quote unquote hypertrophy range of training. So stay away from doing really heavy sets that are between six and 12 reps, because those are, that's the rep range that is going to contribute to body mass depending on the length of your races and how competitive you're trying to be, you may, you might be really wary about putting on more mass because more mass is a really big detriment for most endurance racers, especially at the ultra level. So you want to avoid those rep ranges. And on top of that, you probably want to minimize complex movements in CrossFit workouts and stuff like that, where you're just doing a, a kind of, destructive movement over and over and over. What's like a complex movement in CrossFit workouts? Like a power clean or a snatch or a muscle up or a handstand push up. All of those, I guess the other, the upper body stuff doesn't matter as much, but the lower body stuff that's really repetitive and heavy and involves multiple joints. You know, when you get, when you start to get tired, your techniques starts to break down no matter how proficient you are at it. And that's really going to take away from your recovery. Is it runs. okay? Is it okay to do those things in that three to five rep range for three to five sets? Absolutely. And as an as a as a runner, you need to pay extra careful attention to your technique, right? If you're a competitive athlete in anything outside of the gym, then the the biggest faux pas is to get injured inside of the gym. So make sure you're putting technique first, and then power, speed, strength second. Um, one last question for you on this. So he did mention like maintaining his strength. And I think there is this, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's this, most people think you have to like push it to maxes all the time in order to get stronger or maintain your strength. But I don't think that's true. So I don't think these two to three days that he has in the gym should be spent like trying to go as heavy as humanly possible, right? Exactly. That's a great point. And that's, ex that's exactly why I gave the three to five sets of three to five reps and not one or two, three reps. You can still get really heavy, but you're not, you're usually not getting to the point of failure with that. Um, and you're not put, you're, you're often not pushing yourself to a new limit. So Again, if your biggest priority is to compete in endurance sports, then just make sure you're not getting injured in the gym. So when you start to feel your technique breaking down, then call it for the day. I love it. Hi, my name is Judith Monteith, and I was on WAG for a while. I'm off, but um, definitely have to get back on. But uh, quick question. I travel a lot and um, just... I think the I, I love that episode a while ago that you did on the um the travel section. But what about the airplane, airport and airplane? 
um, how do you handle eating in airports and airplane, especially when you're going long distances and um, just try to get a handle on that? Because I think that was my downfall the last time and I'm still struggling with that and just trying to figure out whether it's a good time to jump back on or to stay off and thank you. Hey Judith, thank you for the question. This is a really good one, something that a lot of people deal with and I think that uh, we can definitely tackle this for you today. So when you're going on a travel day and you're going to be in an airport, I can totally understand going long distances. I would definitely firsthand think about what you can plan ahead of time. And we do talk about this a lot. Uh, doing the work upfront saves you the work later. We harp on that a lot, but I really want to make sure that they say what people need to hear something eight times before they actually hear it. So hopefully you've I mean, you've told me this a hundred times and I still don't do it sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. You do it more than you did it before. That is true. And that's all we're aiming for. So when the things that you can plan ahead of time when you're heading to the airport for a long travel day is that you can look up the countries that you're going to and what are their rules around food. So for example, if you're going to New Zealand, you better finish all your food before you get there because there's going to be some hefty fines if you're bringing in any food to New Zealand. So make sure you know like where you're landing, what you can bring, what you can't bring. Make sure you understand that, first of all. If you're going internationally. If you're going internationally. And then, well, long, I assumed long distance meant international, but maybe long distance just means like five hours across the country. So also what you can do is that you can look up the, the airport that you're going to ahead of time. So if you have a layover, how long is that layover and wh what airport is that in? They're going to have a directory of all of the types of restaurants that they have available there. And one pro tip is to look up the lounges that are available. And you might be able to pay a small fee to be able to go into the lounge. And why this helps is... If you brought your own food, you can go and eat inside the lounge without the huge amount of temptation from all of the fast food options and all of the, you know, really tempting. There's a lot of airports trying to get you to impulsively buy things at like whether it's chocolate or candy or you know what I mean? Like the snacky type of things. Um, there's also really fast food there which isn't necessarily the healthiest. So bringing any food to a lounge is a better environment to be able to, you know, relax, calm your nervous system a little bit and eat any food that you've brought in with you. Or they oftentimes have some pretty good options available at a lounge. They usually have a buffet with like a salad or some Greek yogurt or something like that. So it might be worth the small fee to go into a lounge. Just check that out ahead of time. And then of course, packing your food ahead of time if possible. So if you can pack a sandwich or you can pack a salad or you can pack something with you that you can eat instead of having to buy food, that's always going to be a better option. If you only have limited time to prepare something, probably prioritize your protein because that's a lot of times the hardest thing to get high quality of at the airport. So like cut up chicken or steak or something like that. Mm -hmm. And something also that uh, works really well. Uh, a lot of our members have what they call emergency kits. So they have this little, this big Ziploc bag or a, a little lunch bag that they put inside their backpack that will have in case of emergency, like I'm hangry and I need to eat something and it will have healthy snack options. So it could be, you know, nuts and seeds, or it could be, um, celery or 
cherry tomatoes or cucumber or pepper or carrots or things that are higher volume. Even rice cakes can do really well. Things that are higher volume that can keep you fuller, you know, take up a lot of space in your belly that can tide you over until you get to where you need to be. If you absolutely cannot pack any food with you, I would even recommend eating something before you go so that you don't have to eat at the airport. Of course, if it's a super, super early flight, then that's probably not an option. And then you're down to the bare bones of I research where I'm landing or what's at the airport and then I have my options available to me and I can make a choice ahead of time so I'm not just in a rush, have to catch my next flight, um, that type of state. Did you mention looking up restaurants, the actual restaurants before? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. Also, for anybody who's interested in getting a little bit deeper in this question, if you search travel working against gravity, we have a number of really amazing blog posts that go into detail about the types of snacks you can pack, the types of food options that you have available at Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts or McDonald's or the things that are typically found at most airports and you know, meal options that you have available to you so that we've done the work for you. We've made the decisions. You can just pick from what we have chosen that can make sure that you're having the healthiest travel that you can. Hi, this is Brenna Strickland in Atlanta, Georgia. My question today is how do you maintain both a positive mindset and great nutrition while you're recovering from injury or surgery or some other setback and may not be able to work out. Uh, Really hard to maintain your self-esteem when you're feeling kind of down about yourself and, you know, how do you eat to really promote healing um, and make sure that you can come back quickly when you're cleared to work out again? Thanks. Hey, Brenna, great question. And I think this is something that every single person battles with at some point. In 2013, after my lumbar fusion that I got done, I went through a couple months of some serious depression and could have used the answer to this question right here. So first off, I think it's important to realize that you might not feel as motivated as you once did, but that doesn't mean you can't continue to take action. If you wait until you feel motivated, then it could be a long time. And I think that the lack of action that comes from that can lead to some serious negative emotions and even depression like it happened with in me. I think that something also that's really important to think about when you get into the situation is that what is often easily seen as a setback or taking a couple steps back can really be reframed as an opportunity. And I think that sometimes injuries and surgeries or things like that teach us really valuable lessons if we give them the opportunity to do that. So trying to find a way to not necessarily look for this motivation, your situation is completely different than it was before. So there's no way you're going to have the same motivation or you're going to be able to do the same things. So just trying to work on what can you do now? And I have sprained my ankle really badly before and not been able to do anything lower body in the gym, not even be able to like put a lot of weight on like bare load on my leg for for weeks at a time. Or I've broken my wrist and I wasn't able to do anything with my upper body. And In all of those times, I was devastated and also realized that it was an opportunity for me to be able to work on things I wouldn't necessarily work on otherwise. So I think that there's something to be said about you have, if one, if you're not completely bedridden, it's a different situation. So if you're not completely bedridden and just have to stay in bed the whole time, then I would still dedicate the same amount of time that you were dedicating to fitness before or fitness, wellness, whatever it was 
whatever you were dedicating before, still dedicate the same amount of time because that's still going to make you feel good. I would still go to the gym and I would just do whatever it was that I could. So when my ankle was sprained, I would do a lot of dips or I would do a lot of core. Um, When my wrist was sprained, I did like some safety bar back squats or I just did like whatever I possibly could in the gym. And it gave me an opportunity to do things that I would have never done otherwise because I thought they were super boring. Yeah, really focus on what you can do rather than what you can't do. One of my favorite books of all time is called The Art of Learning by Josh Waitzkin. And he has a very similar example as you just gave a D. He was learning how to do jujitsu and he broke his like dominant arm. So instead of taking that entire like whatever, three or four months off, he saw it as an opportunity to train his weak arm. Then by the time his other arm was healed, he was this dynamic athlete and he went on to become a world champion. So if every time we have a setback, if we look at it as an opportunity to do something that we that we weren't before, it could actually lead to us being stronger when we recover. And if you are bedridden, let's say you had back surgery like Michael had, and there really was a period of time where you really just actually couldn't I, do I anything. Couldn't, I couldn't walk yeah, <laughs> at all, like couldn't, a, over 100 yards. Yeah, couldn't walk over 100 yards, really couldn't do anything at all. There, It's not as easy to find the things that you can still do, but there is still a period of time that you can dedicate towards health and wellness. So for instance, you might be able to dedicate it towards nutrition and there's nothing worse than being bedridden, not being able to work out the way that you want to, and also eating like shit at the same time. It's kind of just adding suffering on top of the suffering. So maybe this is your opportunity to just learn about nutrition, clean up your diet. Maybe if you can sit somewhere, like cook some new recipes or whatever it is that you can do. It's really an opportunity for you to get creative. And maybe you hated cooking before. And by the end of this, you end up being a chef. And you can also get creative with the opportunities that you look for. It might not be directly in health and fitness. It might, like you might be bedridden or you might be seriously injured and you literally can't go to the gym. And so you might have more time to lean into relationships or your career or your your person, like yourself, your mindset. So really just be creative and look for what opportunities present themselves with this extra time that yeah, you have in your hand. that's a really good point. I didn't really think of that until you just said it. I'm always bringing up good points. <laughs> <laughs> there is something about going to the gym and progressing in your fitness that makes us feel like we're doing something, we're getting better at something. And... I didn't really consider it until you just said it, that it really could be anything. So if you're bedridden, you can't get out of bed, you just had surgery and you know you can't work on your nutrition, you can't um, get to the gym, that doesn't mean you can't be progressing in anything. So maybe this is your opportunity to read about a topic that you've been you've been putting off, but you've always wanted to maybe play the mandolin. um, Yeah. Play the mandolin or learn how to draw and you can draw in bed. Like you so many, it's really an opportunity to get super creative because that confidence or what keeps you out of that depression can be getting better at anything or improving or learning or feeling like you're just not completely useless laying there. So for this next question, someone named either Ina or Ina, I-N-A, left us a a great question, but it was really low. It was a low quality recording. So I'm going to tell you the question and then we will answer it. So the question was, she had listened to one of our relationship podcasts where we were talking about conflict resolution. When we're in conflict, the D and I, what a D really wants 
what she needs in order for her to feel like we are back in touch and the conflict is resolved is she needs me to come over to her and give her some form of touch. And over time, the what I've learned is like the most effective way is to if she's sitting down to go up behind her and just to wrap my arms around her to put my <laughs> face right next to her face and to make it really soft and just like hang out there for a little bit and within literally seconds she just melts and the conflict is resolved okay and so Ina heard this podcast and she brings up a great point she says I want my partner to she she is similar to a D in that in conflict she wants her partner to come over and touch her and but she wants her partner to do it because he wants to not because she wants to she doesn't want it to feel forced or fake and she doesn't want to have to ask for it so it's i don't want my needs to be met in the way that I have to ask for it. So I want you to meet my needs without me having to ask for them. And I also want you to want to do it versus me asking you to do it. I can totally relate to this feeling. I think I've definitely experienced this many, many different times in my life of, I want you to want to do it. I don't want you to do it just because I asked you to do it. I can completely relate. And I also now understand that it is an absolute trap. And you are trapping that other person and you're basically setting them up for failure. And it's, they're also, if you, imagine the expectation was completely reversed and Michael needs space and conflict. I have no idea. He doesn't want to have to ask me for it. He wants me to give space because I want to give him space. But my natural inclination is to get touched when I want to feel safe. And, and to be closer. And to, to be, be closer. closer together, yeah. And when we're in conflict, I want to work it out right away. And that's what makes me feel safe. And I have no idea because you haven't told me that you want space and you want some time. There's just no way for me to have read your mind. I can't read your mind. I don't know what you're thinking. And there's just... There's just a way for me to fail. It's just me. I'm automatically going to probably do what I've done in past relationships and maybe what past boyfriends have wanted me to do. And I don't know what you want me to do. And I think it's really important to remember that every single person is really speaking a completely different love language. Um, that love languages book is really true. And we all have different versions of each love language. And it's really unfair to expect your partner to do fulfill your needs without you telling them explicitly what they are. Mm -hmm. And a key point here is that at the end of the day, like with, when I'm in conflict with a D, what I want mostly is for both of us to feel the love that we have for each other and for us to resolve the conflict. How that gets done is so secondary to fulfilling that requirement of resolving the conflict. So whether it be giving the person space or giving them touch, like I don't, I still, after all of these years, I don't want to go over and touch a D. It, it's it's so difficult for me. And yeah, it's just so challenging for me. But I want to resolve the conflict with her. And I love her so much that I'm willing to go through that discomfort in order to do that. And what's so what's the feeling like for you, knowing that it's so hard for me? Yeah, what, what, what's that yeah, like for you? I was really just about to say, talk about that. So I know that you don't want to, and I know that it's really difficult for you. And instead of seeing it as, I wish you would just want to, I know that you don't. It's like an unrealistic expectation. And instead, I kind of see it almost like this heroic act. It's this, you're going against every single natural... All of my conditioning yeah. and uh, past upbringing. And it's actually going against exactly what you want. 
you have to give up what you want to give me what I want. And I feel like nobody wants to give up their own needs for another person. It's a really like, that's just, that's uh, not real. That's not real. What he's doing is he's doing this. It's, it's very much like being the hero in that moment and pushing through the discomfort and acting in service of the relationship instead of in service of himself in that moment. And I see it as a, a gift versus seeing it as you don't want to. But I do want to make a distinction. I think there is a difference here. Unless there is a scenario where you're talking about, I want my partner to want to do something, meaning when they do it, you don't want to feel the discomfort and the resentment of them doing it. So example, if Michael came over to me and he's touching me in the middle of conflict, but I can feel that he doesn't want to, and I can feel like he's scowling, or I can feel like that there's this resistance to doing it, it, that is not something that I want. Well, is it the resistance or is it like if I'm still making you wrong in the, in the conflict? I think it's, I think it's this like this energy. Let's use a different example other than that, other than a conflict. Like I asked you to take out the garbage and you do it, but like so begrudgingly, Mm. you know what I mean? And you don't want to take out the garbage and I don't really want you to want to take out the garbage. I just want you to take out the garbage because it's what needs to get done. And if I feel this like resentment or like I'm wrong for asking you to take out the garbage, that's something completely different than what we're talking about here. I think it's easier with the garbage example to understand we could get into our own um, marriage. Like in the other example, it's a little bit messier, but the garbage example is like, I just don't want to feel this I'm wrong for asking you to fulfill my need or I'm you're resentful that you have to do it. Mm-hmm. That is a different thing. I don't feel resent from Michael when he comes over to me. I feel like this is this is hard for him sometimes and when I melt it's that goes away mm-hmm. immediately. Like when you get the result that you're looking for of I've melted and I'm now ready to resolve this conflict, it's all it's all gone and you're so glad that you did it. But I think it's really, really an impossible ask of wanting your partner to want to do something and also wanting them to know what you want without telling them. Mm-hmm. So I know maybe suspend the expectation or need to have your partner um, want to do this, even though he or she might not want to do it and just ha- have an experience like tell the tell your partner how you would like them to respond in conflict and then see what it's like to have them actually respond despite whether they want to or not and just see how that feels. Hopefully this is helpful. And I also think one thing that exercise you could do for yourself is kind of flip the tables around. Like what are things that you do for your partner because it makes them happy? But if you weren't with this particular partner, you probably wouldn't want to do it out of your natural inclination. You're doing it because it makes them happy. And that's all the want that you really need. Um, the task, wanting to do the task itself is is not as important as wanting to do what's in service of your relationship. Cool. With that, that's a wrap, guys. Hopefully this was beneficial. I know this was pretty wide ranging, but this was really fun for us. If you love the show, we would really appreciate it if you take the time to share this with a friend. It helps us to reach more people and make a bigger impact. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us. 
stay in touch by signing up for our newsletter at workingagainstgravity.com or on Instagram at workingagainstgravity. And don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, leave us a five-star review, and refer a friend. We'll be back next week with another episode. Talk to you then.